Good evening, and welcome to Chatman and Robin. I'm Max Peterson. And I'm Bird. <laughs> I don't know why I even bothered to do that. I was just thinking about Dracula and how we didn't watch it earlier. <clears throat> I like what we watched. <laughs> I like what we watched instead. Uh, yeah, we missed I a week. I don't know how I feel about it. What we watched instead. We well, we'll talk about that in just a second. Okay. It's popular culture. Um, we missed a week, but we had stuff going on. We're I mean we're we getting ready for the move. Stuff. We always have stuff going on, but I'm hoping once we get moved and settled in Michigan, things will chill. Settle? Yeah, things will settle a little bit. Um, how have you been? How are you doing? I'm all right. Little uh, little stressed, little anxious about the move. Yeah. Mm. I've been finding a, a job. Oh yeah, I just I got a transfer, so woo, that's nice for me. I got me a job. Um, I don't know. I've I've been in kind of like a creative slump lately. Yeah, ditto. We talked about it like two weeks ago when we did an, uh, one of our podcasts, but it hasn't let up. I thought it was gonna like change or let up. I mean, we've been talking about how since we moved to Maine, we've been super productive, and I got all this writing done, and I was sending shit out, and I recorded two albums. I think it's inevitable that there would be a dip at a some dip, point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm trying to find that sweet spot where I don't even want like super productivity. I just want like some productivity every day. I was, um, I'm reading uh, the Amazing Adventures. I'm still of, being productive. Uh, yeah, you're doing. Kinda. <laughs> you're doing perspective <laughs> studies every day. Um, but I'm reading the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay right now, mm-hmm. and Michael Chabin only writes a thousand words a day. That's like his goal. He's a professional. He's a novelist. That's what he does. That's his living. And he, all he writes is a, a thousand words a day, which is like next to nothing if you're a writer. Um, but then I recently read something Neil Gaiman says he's he's elated if he gets 2,000 words a day. Usually he just tries for like five to seven pages, which would be about 1,200 to 1,500 words. Hmm. Maybe it's better not to like stress yourself out. I don't know. Maybe. I'm trying not to stress myself out. That's good. Yeah, it is. But so I'm hoping that this is the week that I'll bust out of my my little gloomy wax shell of writer's block. I don't know. I just imagine myself like encased in this waxy shell of like no ideas and all the inspirations outside, and I just need to punch through the waxy shell, you know? And I'll like a like a, a chicken egg shell. I mean, yeah, chicken egg oh, would be okay. the obvious clear metaphor that wouldn't be confusing to any of our listeners, but I decided to go with waxy. I was just imagining, like, a complete exoskeleton of you, like somebody dipped you in... Yeah, there, perfect. Oh, okay. No, I mean, that's not what I meant, but yeah, yours, yours is very easy to it's explain. Very in my head, I was like, okay, so imagine that, like, a ball of wax, like, someone dipped... Uh, like a seal into wax like not a seal like the animal like a seal like the ring and then they pressed the seal against another seal but i was in between the two like mine made no sense at all and you were like what if someone dipped you in wax i was like that could work (laughs) this is why i have writer's block my metaphors are so fucking convoluted that i can't even type my way through one of them and i give up um so yeah no i uh so have you been doing any have you done anything other than your perspective studies just lately? No. No. Okay. Well, what's what's on the horizon for you? What are you what are you trying to do? Um, you, you were talking I about starting know. another painting. You yeah, do a, I want to do another painting, but I don't know what I want to do. You know, I, we've been I've been saying it forever. I'll say it here on the air. You should do a nude of me. Oh yeah. Yeah, do a nude. Mm. You can be you can make me totally anatomically correct, 18-inch penis and all. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, the ladies will love that. I mean, you could, you could, fl- you could make it seem a little bit larger, like if you want to do the 19 inches, but you don't have to flatter me. My my standard 18 is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Paint me like one of your French girls. Oh, okay. 
wearing this. Only this. It's a Star Wars t-shirt. That's what I'm wearing right now. Um, (laughs) Speaking of Star Wars t-shirts. I never saw Titanic, so. Really? Yeah. You're so lucky. It's... It seems horribly depressing. Oh my god, it's so long, and it it gives you such. If you see it when you're young, it gives you such an unrealistic expectation of what sex is, because the uh, the the famous they have sex in a car, right? Yeah, the famous Jack and Rose sex scene in the car, and you're just like, oh, so sex is like a lot of rolling and Celine Dion, and the windows get fogged up in her hand. That, okay, for real though, like that uh, that may have been one of my early boners is is uh kate winslet right it's kate winslet yeah it's kate winslet's hand hitting that foggy glass and dragging down slowly and i was like oh they did stuff from my uh my health class book in that car (laughs) yeah they shot they shot little worms at little other things Oh, gross. That's, oh, that's like the worst way to describe (laughs) sperm. Well, what term did I come up with earlier for uh, abhorrent people? What was it? Cunt pus. Okay. Oh. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, uh, there's an explicit Mm. tag on this podcast for a reason, folks. (laughs) Um, I don't think anyone doubted that. So you wait, you, but you're aware of Titanic, right? It's so fucking long. I, I mean, we were in elementary school when that came out. All I remember is the Celine Dion song and how, like Celine Dion. Shut up. The old Celine Dion song. Yeah. <laughs> um, the big Why thing I, I remember because <laughs> this is the only time we talk to each other. The apartment is stony silences and vinyl records unless we're podcasting. Um. I remember it's one of like a very few films I remember seeing because you you and I both grew up during VHS age. Right. That was one of the few movies that was two VHS tapes. It was so fucking long. They Mm -hmm. had to put it on two tapes. Um, The first movie I ever saw was um, two tapes as well. It was Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai when I was, I think, five years old. My dad is so fucking awesome. No, I was four. Um, yeah, my dad showed it to me. It's the first film I remember seeing. But that was so long. It was like three and a half hours. How did he get you to sit times. still that long? It was fascinating. It was amazing. Like, have you ever seen that movie? He We've... didn't ply you with candy or something? No, 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 no. Like, it's I mean, popcorn. I mean, duh. Later, <laughs> all you need to get me to sit still is give me a bowl of popcorn. I'll sit anywhere you want. I'll sit in a puddle of mud and just eat my popcorn. Um, but yeah, like later on, it was like it was Pop-Tarts and Butter. For in the morning, because my dad... Okay, like, you know that show Reboot that I love? Yes. When I was a kid, I liked that show, but my dad turned me on to it. Secretly, my dad was a Reboot fan. He would <laughs> he would wake me up to, like... He's like, hey, Reboot's coming on. We're gonna miss it. Yeah, well, he would always say, like, you're gonna miss it, but he would watch every episode with me. Like, he... Dad loved Reboot. So That's he would funny. we would get Pop-Tarts and butter and watch Reboot, and then... Yeah, so that was my jam. But the first things... Together, I, folks, not separately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pop-Tart in one Pop-tart fist, a stick, stick of butter, of butter in, in the other. other. <laughs> yeah, I grew up in the Midwest. You should have seen lunch. It was two pieces of toasted bread and a brick of cheese in my right hand. That was grilled cheese. I'd eat my toast and then take a bite out of the brick. Couldn't go to school unless I finished all of the brick of cheese on my plate. Um, but yeah, like my... I didn't start watching like Disney films until I was like six or seven or or yeah. Before that, it was like old black and white dubbed Godzilla movies <laughs> and Akira Kurosawa samurai films. That's kind of what I remember. Um, but anyway, we watched um, we watched a couple of movies lately. A couple of good movies. 
We watched a couple of movies? Yeah, there's two of them on here. We watched 13th Warrior. Oh, yeah. Was that last night? Or night before? I think it was the night before. Yeah, I think so. All right, so I'd never seen the 13th Warrior. It's got uh, Antonio Banderas is in it and no one else of note. But I'm sure that there's some great actors in there who had really long and fulfilling careers. I just don't know their oh, names. Oh, actually, the guy who's like his overseer at the very beginning is actually pretty famous too. Which guy? Oh, the guy in who's the doing white... all the translating? Yes. Uh, I, yeah, I can't even remember his face because Antonio Banderas. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> mm. Um let's just go ahead and admit it's not a technically good film like no. it's a, it's not a good movie we'll say but it's a great movie <laughs> um like the the effects are kind of crappy and there's a lot of acting in it where you're like hmm. and didn't Ooh. you you said at one point you're like oh look that guy is shattering <laughs> um oh uh, yeah yeah you know what it is it's like it is of the age of braveheart it's mm-hmm. very you can oh, yeah. you can tell there's a lot of Braveheart stuff like big battle coming up Antonio Banderas uh, I thought this was interesting Antonio Banderas is um, a Muslim right yeah. yeah so in the the basic premise of the film is Antonio Banderas is a Muslim who gets banished for basically being Antonio Banderas and fucking a married woman ha cha cha um so he gets I'd ex- fuck him he gets exiled <laughs> from his country um I'd fuck him I am a married woman um. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets exiled from his country and sent like up through the the north like up in the north and um he basically meets up with some vikings and they hear the story you said the story is loosely based on um, beowulf it's based on a book called the eaters of the dead which is loosely based on beowulf so it's yeah. it's three degrees of kevin bacon away from beowulf right. okay yes. <laughs> yeah sure um but uh he's in this viking encampment and like some boy comes uh, a messenger boy comes in and says like king rothgar is sending for some warriors because mm-hmm. they're being plagued by this fucking crazy it's not grendel it's a group of what they think at well, first and are they like, call it a they basically call it a dragon too. yeah they think yeah. there's also a dragon involved which is the second bad thing in beowulf they jump from grendel to dragon remember don't you remember in beowulf uh beowulf defeats grendel in beowulf beowulf defeats grendel and becomes king then beowulf jumps the the story jumps Mm -hmm. like 30 years Hmm. and beowulf is like an old king and a dragon comes and fucks with his kingdom beowulf goes and slays the dragon but dies fighting it oh i have never read beowulf really really Oh wow, you it's it's pretty good. Um like surprisingly so given how old it is. You have to you can't read literal translations though. Literal translations cuz it's written in Middle English. Um it literal literal translations are garbage. Because is it's it's Beowulf the oldest western book. Book? Yes. Yeah. Like a uh, book length book. Yes, but there's things that predate it like the um Siddhartha isn't Siddhartha supposed to be the first book? Is it? I think so. Hmm. You might be right. It's been a long time since I was in school and like new important things like this. Um, <laughs> I thought Beowulf was the first book. I could be wrong. Um, no, it's the Holy Bible. Go fuck yourself. It's not the Bible. Um, no, but like there's the the rhyme of the seafarer or something like that. Or the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Is that what it's called? Like the earliest piece of recorded Western writing? I have no idea. Mm. Anyway, you know what? We'll, we're, we'll come back to that and get all of your historical facts figured out, unless we forget, which we probably will. Um, but it's it's an epic poem that was passed down like 
from mouth to mouth. So when you do a literal translation of it, it's like it sounds really stupid. So my favorite versions are all translated by poets. Like famous modern poets will translate Beowulf and it's when you get a good poetic translation, it's beautiful. And actually um in my uh, Chaucer class. Don't you have a copy in I the do. original? Okay. Yeah. Um, my In my Chaucer class, no, it wasn't a Chaucer class. I took a medieval literature class before I took Chaucer. Um, and we read Beowulf in the original Middle English. For that class, I had to learn to read Old English and Middle English. And it. do you remember me driving you absolutely fucking crazy just sitting there reading things aloud? And <laughs> Oh my god. Middle English is atrocious. It's really, it really, really is terrible. <laughs> well, you had to read it aloud to like get the sounds because it's all poems. So I'd be like sitting in the corner of the dorm room <laughs> with Beowulf in my lap or, you know, like old Chaucer not translated to modern and being like, Hawaiis and fired and Hailing the hole from Ode to Coden and, and the Morstand. And Bird would be like, stop, stop it. <laughs> Read in your head. I'm like, I can't. These sounds mm-hmm. don't exist in my head. What? What did you find? Um, so I did a little Googling. It's not the Holy Bible, is it? I'm gonna mm-hmm. No, it's that. not. Okay, mm-hmm. thank God. Um, so yeah, actually when I Googled the um oldest book, it said that it is the um the Gutenberg Bible. Because that's the oldest surviving, like, actual physical book, not, like, oldest piece of literature. So it is the Christian Bible I was wrong? <laughs> well, no. I mean, that is the oldest surviving physical book. Physical book. Okay. Um, in the West. Um, the oldest one from the East is um, Buddhism's Diamond Sutra. Mm. It's from circa 868. Whoa. So. AD? Or BC? Eighty, okay, um, and that like totally beats the pants off the Gutenberg Bible, which is fourteen fifty five. Mm. Um, but I also went and looked up um, ancient literature. Yeah, um, I know the rhyme of the ancient mariner is very, or the song of the ancient mariner is fucking old. It's like the first thing written in. I think that might be the first thing written in English. The oldest thing written in English, old English, but still. Go ahead. Um, uh, this is Wikipedia. So, uh, the history of literature begins truth. <laughs> <laughs> with the invention of writing in Bronze Age Mesopotamia and mm. ancient Egypt. I okay. mean, duh. Yeah. Because um, they both had the um, uh, hieroglyphs, hieroglyphs yeah. and I think Mesopotamia is like cruniform. Um, and they writing. call those things, and those are both technically forms of writing. Right. So, um, lists of ancient texts from the Bronze Age. Um, <clears throat> um, earliest written literature dates from about 2600 BC. Literature? Yes. Okay. And that's classical Sumerian. Um, and then it does say that things are very difficult to date, like the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Right. Um, or whatever is, um, the Papyrus of Ani. Um, oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Because as you were saying Egyptian, I remembered that some scientists thought they had found the oldest piece of writing, not mm-hmm. book, but just like thing with writing on mm-hmm. it. And they had deciphered it and it was a list of supplies. Yeah. It was yeah. like uh, like basically like groceries, like stuff that's coming into the larder. And I think that that might be that piece of papyrus you're talking about. It could be um, wrong. But these are, actually, these are actually pieces of literature. Okay. Um, so 2600 Sumerian text from Abu Salabik, um, including instructions of 
Oh boy. <laughs> Shuru Pak and the Kesh Temple Hymn. Okay, so it's, so re- it's religious texts. That, well, those were the only people who could write, were the like, highly educated like monks and, and right, uh, holy right. men. So, yeah, even up to like late Bronze Age, it's just Egyptian and Sumerian. Mm. Um, we don't even get... So I guess technically I have to withdraw my fuck you because the oldest physical book is in fact a Bible. So the Buddhist book beats it. Oh, but then that's a but physical that's, book. Yeah, but it's not Western. That's yeah, Western. fuck you, Bible. Um, well, it's still a religious text. <laughs> yeah, but it's a cool religious text. Um, nothing against Christianity. Uh, but except yes. <laughs> <laughs> we both come from really strong Christian backgrounds. If that tells you anything, listeners at home. So, um, yeah. So he's so uh, Antonio Banderas, thirteenth warrior. Back to thirteenth warrior. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like this Muslim guy. He's up in Viking land in a Viking encampment, and they get word that this direct, basically like some mythological spooky thing, which they won't name. They won't call it by name. Um, is attacking King Rothgar. Who, yeah, it's Voldemort. <laughs> Voldemort and a, Spoilers. Bunch, <laughs> a bunch of Death Eaters uh, are attacking um, Rothgar's uh, mead hall, basically, and his yeah. little village. So they call for warriors, and this crazy old woman comes in and casts bones, and she says, it must be 13, and then 12 men volunteer, but the 13th cannot be a, a, a Northman, which is just a way of saying Norseman with a lisp. Uh, can't be a Northman. It has to be a Muslim. So, <laughs> um, they all turn and look at Antonio Banderas, which I think is interesting because he is also with a guy who's not a Norseman. And Antonio Banderas should have just thrown him under the bus and been like, "What about you, old man? <laughs> I have important like diplomat shit to do. You're just you can speak their language. He's a, clearly a better choice. <laughs> the other old guy like understands their Except customs. Except he's an old man, and Fuck it's, it's a war. <laughs> Well, okay, so Antonio Banderas becomes... uh, And of course, this whole time, Antonio Banderas doesn't speak the same language, so he's totally out of the loop. Totally out of the loop. So when everybody's looking at him... He's like, what the fuck is going on? What? So the the 13th warrior is Antonio Banderas. He's with a guy who speaks their language. Well, he speaks Latin as well, and one of the warriors speaks Latin. So So there's a bridge. So one of the Vikings is talking in Latin. Speaking in Latin to Antonio Banderas' friend, who is translating to their native tongue, which mm-hmm. I don't think is specified. I wasn't paying attention at the beginning of the movie very much. Um, I don't I'm know not sure if where they, yeah. But um, so he gets on his tiny ass Arabic horse, which they make fun of. They make fun of. Only a Muslim would take a dog to war, which I thought was a fun <laughs> line that they touch on again and again. Um, but he, so he mm-hmm. travels only with an them. Arab. Only an Arab. Would oh, bring a dog to war. Right. Oh, when at the end when he says, goodbye, Arab. I was like, man, this movie in 2017 just smacks racism. Um, but so he travels with them and they're all like talking and they, they do a pretty cool montage to because you can't have a whole movie where your protagonist doesn't speak the same right. language as a group of men. It would be boring. So he sits there and he's a poet. They establish early that he's a poet and he can read and write, which is rare. Um, so he's sitting there and they do a montage of several nights as the journey progresses around the fire, probably like a month or whatever as they're traveling Mm -hmm. and all the men are talking and he's looking at, they like cut to their mouths and you can see Antonio Banderas like watching and listening acutely. And then as the nights go on, 
they're still talking what sounds like their language, but you can start to catch English words in there, like kind of garbled English words. But you can you can start to like they it's really well handled. It's a very cool scene, yeah. Um, so they'll be like talking to each other, and it it starts out all Norse, you know. This is you know they're like Narkin Puritan Tarkin talking to each other, and then I know that's like that's totally. Uh, I was just actually speaking fluent Swedish, not Norse, but. For the sake of the bit, um, it'll just be sweet. Um, so then, like the next night, they'll be like, "Fired and soon and talking to the cat," and you can kind of start to catch talking to the cat. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's just the first thing. I, they're fucking Norse people. They're crazy. <laughs> they're relating jokes about talking cats. Um, well, but, they actually are like your mama jokes. <laughs> yeah, they do. They make fun of his mom. Um, but there's a great scene where suddenly everybody like, and oh my god, I'll give I gotta give props to those actors. Because the way they handle their lines and and transition into their native tongue, all English, mm-hmm. was amazing. So there, there's a scene where you can listen to the guy talking, and midway through his sentence, it turns into English because Antonio Banderas now understands enough of their language to understand them. Mm-hmm. And one of them makes fun of his mom. <laughs> it's like the first thing he hears. It's like it probably <laughs> as ugly as that one's mother. And Antonio Banderas goes, "My mother." <laughs> and talks to and like says a joke back and calls him like son of a pig eating whore son of a is that what it was <laughs> yeah. son of a yeah he calls the dude a son of a pig eating whore and the guy everyone's like stunned and then the dude goes after him and the one guy oh my god i'm just recounting the movie to our listeners like okay go watch the 13th warrior dude it's a fucking really fun movie it's a good time yeah like it's not the godfather part two but it's a good movie like it's really really fun um but yeah, I can't even remember what I was like. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they get... So he... They, they do all the fun, like, brave hardy type stuff. Like, right before the big battle. He's kind of bonded with the the Northmen. Um, even though he's a Muslim. Um, <laughs> I don't know why they didn't just call him Norseman. Um, but he's kind of bonded with them. But right before... They do a recurring bit where he's teaching their leader to write and read. So he says, you can draw sounds. And he goes, yeah, I can draw sounds. And he goes, draw something. And uh, he writes in the sand and he reads it back. And he says, there is only one God and his prophet is named Muhammad. Um, so at the end... So they, while he does bond with them, he always like maintains that Muslim identity. And then at the very end, before the giant battle, where it looks like they are fucking doomed, it looks like they're just gonna die. He takes his his boots off and his gloves off and kneels and prays to um, Allah right before the big thing. And it made me or right before the big battle. And it made me think of Braveheart. Like every you know every scene in Braveheart, there's like here here comes a swell of bagpipes, and now. Uh, you know, Mel Gibson's standing there praying and trying to, you know, it it felt very of that time. Like Braveheart was mm-hmm. so big that they were like, okay, uh, we got this great script for the 13th Warrior, but me and Ron were looking over it and we thought maybe um, Antonio Banderas' character might uh, might pray some more, you know, like maybe right before the big battle, like a lot. What if he prayed, you know? What if it? What if we called it the 13th Bravehardest Warrior? <laughs> God. What if we called it... Braveheart 2, Brave Harder. <laughs> it's way funnier than Braveheart, though, let me tell you. Like, there's a lot of really humorous moments. Um, oh, yeah. The Vikings are great. Um, I was surprised, like, for an There's old... also some, like, for real gore. Yeah, there's some sick effects in there. The first, oh, oh my God, I was not expecting it at all. Like, 
Okay, but there's spoilers for 13th Warrior. We've basically given the whole movie away at this point, so go watch it. It's really good, and you can get it on, if you have Voodoo, you can go rent it for like three bucks. Three bucks. Three rent bucks. it in SD, though. We rented it in HD at first, and it like jumped a little bit, because they, they spun it up to HD quality, and it creates a frame rate jump. So watch it in SD. It doesn't take anything away from it. And it's cheaper rental, too. It's three bucks. Um, but there's a... Uh, there, the you know it's just there's and what's really weird is there's no trace of gore in it at all until that super fucking gory scene in the viking tent that dude like spills a drink and the king stands up and slashes him across the chest and his fucking chest like explodes what? in like this six inch gash it looks it's the one of the most realistic um like blade wounds i've ever seen in a movie usually they do like ah spurts of blood and stuff but what actually happens when you get hit with a blade is your because your skin's pretty taut Mm -hmm. if you get cut deep it splits like a grape and that's what happened to that dude's chest it looked real as shit and it like it's right across his chest and it like pops the fuck open it looks huge it's huge and it looks so nasty (laughs) so it's it's an excellent effect and then when they walk into that cabin Mm -hmm. oh my god and there's that like headless corpse hanging Uh from the ceiling and the fucking arm falls out of the bed and antonio banderas goes and throws up there's really really good gore what i actually really love about that scene isn't the the physical gore I love that they put in the sound of buzzing flies. Like, most movies don't really think to do that, but that, like, made my skin crawl. Well, you remember Apocalypse Now? Oh, my my God. God. I haven't seen that in forever. So good. But, yeah, like, so it it kind of falls off of the Beowulf thing. Like, they they go to Grend... I guess they they go to Grendel or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't really... There's no, like, arm ripping off or anything like that, which I thought was cool part of beowulf but so they we find out that the the dragon's not really a dragon it's just a long stream of men who dresses bears um carrying torches carrying torches so it looks like a river of fire like a dragon but it's not um he yeah they they make a lot of jokes about antonio banderas not being able to hold up the giant like viking sword so he goes to a smith and has the viking sword cut into the shape of a scimitar and then he's like a sword master which i don't know they didn't ever establish that he was good with swords <laughs> but suddenly he's an expert oh i don't know um, he's a member of nobility right so yeah maybe so i guess he would, he would have, have some sort of training but i thought what I, one of the things about this movie that i thought was amazing was going into it i was expecting to like watch a sword and sorcery movie or whatever you know mm-hmm. not but like a sword and sandals movie like a they're fighting with swords it's middle ages just watch it whatever um i actually gave a shit when some of the vikings died i was like no fuck and i was mm-hmm. worried like repeatedly worried that they were going to kill my favorite viking the blonde guy with the blonde beard uh-huh. who was a total badass <laughs> um there was a hanging plot thread in that film though they kind of don't address the sun the king's son like the king's son is set up as like this big bad guy who's he's like oh you better watch out for him he's saying he's, he's just a giant pussy and he's pieces out probably spreading poison in the king's ear blah 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 and then after that big duel where the blonde viking guy uh pretends like he's all tired he's all tired he's all tired and then he's he just old and then he just jukes and cuts the giant fucker's head off oh my god i'm telling you guys watch this movie um, and then throws some money at the son. Son is never mentioned ever again. Even though he's like, "Ooh, what's gonna happen with the son? This is kind of weird." I guess, I guess, just forget about that. Moving on, moving on. <laughs> Pretend this. I guess there's. He died. He's dead. <laughs> One can only hope. I'm in trouble here. Oh, I'm God. dying. <laughs> um, I'm dead. 
Look at me just mentioning in-jokes that nobody knows about. Mm. Um, so we watched another movie. Do you have anything else for 13th Warrior? Other than, like, go watch it, for real. I am so glad I finally made you watch it. With me. me, too. I couldn't believe this is the first time that I made you watch it. It was... I know. Like, you you had it. I remember you talked about it all the time in, um, in college. And even as a kid, I remember it being around like it was at my cousin's house. Um, they used to have it on VHS and mm-hmm. he was always like, we got to watch this. We got to watch this. And I was like, oh, I don't, I'm good. Let's play video games or let's go outside and whatever, anything else. I forget what the joys of childhood are. <laughs> now it's just, I don't know what you do outside. I know that inside you sit and stare at a blank page for days on end. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, go watch it. It was fun. Uh, we watched another movie. Um, Adam Lau has been trying to get me to watch this movie forever. And I've been trying to get Bird to watch it since Adam recommended it to me because I don't like to watch movies alone because I do a podcast when I like to talk about things. Uh, we watched Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's a Coen Brothers film. Now, you've seen four Coen Brothers movies at this point. You've seen Barton Fink, which you fucking hated. Hated with both hands. Stupid. You've seen Raising Arizona, which is one of my favorite films of all time, which you hated. Oh hated with both feet. <laughs> You've seen The Big Lebowski, which you... I have seen five then. Okay, what other one have you seen? Fargo. Oh, yeah. Okay, so you liked Fargo. Mm-hmm. Like a lot? Five star. Out of five stars, what would you four. give? You'd give Fargo four. Mm-hmm. How many stars would you give The Big Lebowski? Two and a half. Two and a half? The, I don't think it's funny. The movie I... with... What the fuck is wrong with you, woman? <laughs> God, you gave the Big Lebowski two and a half stars. Like, you're lucky I don't crawl across this table and kill you with my pen. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Yeah, well, now you have my pen. I need need that for notes. I promise not to kill you. You No. Hey, baby, I'm sorry. You promise me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get mad at you. Pretend I'm just following you down the street in a Uh car. uh Um, I just got so angry. I just got so angry. Um,. You see, yeah, the big okay, the big Lebowski. I would rate much higher than that. I think it's really funny, especially when I when I about halfway through the movie when I realized that the big Lebowski is three. You give it three. All right, I'll let that slide. I won't divorce you. Oh, <laughs> thanks. You're welcome. Um, so you've seen Fargo, the big Lebowski. Did you watch Burn After Reading? No. Okay, I watched that with my grandparents, which was very awkward because uh, there's a lot of profanity in that movie, and there's if there's one thing my grandparents hate in a movie, it's profanity. Um, More than boobies? Well, you know you know how my grandpa loves his chick flicks. So <laughs> That's a joke, folks. <laughs> these are the jokes. These are the jokes, and they're coming and coming. He likes... Chick... He, he, what he meant was... Okay, he went to a... My grandpa went to a video store one time, and grandma rented some, like, feel-good movie, you know, like a Lifetime special or something, um, at Family Video. And the woman was like, just this for you? And Grandpa goes, oh, yeah, she won't let me pick the movies because she knows that I'll uh, rent some of those chick flicks. He meant pornography. He didn't... Yeah. You got it the other way. No. What? What? My grandpa said he, he, Uh... he wanted to rent chick flicks. He meant, I want to rent pornography. I have been understanding this wrong for many years what did you (laughs) what did you think that it meant i thought the joke was that he i don't i got it the opposite way that he really liked chick flicks Uh uh-huh and was joking about renting skin flicks no 
he that's funny okay. he told the cashier that uh she knows that i'll just rent those chick flicks and he thought chick flicks meant porn um but uh. chick because he wasn't aware of the the term chick flicks as being like movies for women <laughs> He does like chick flicks, though. He does. It's he actually does. really adorable. Like that's probably why you're confused. Is every time we hang out with them, we watch fucking like um, <laughs> I don't even think of it, like The Blind Side and like movies like that. He likes like chick fl- uh, like How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days or oh you know, my god, that's so <laughs> like funny. literally those are the movies that my grandpa likes to watch because they have happy endings. Any movie with a downer ending, he's like, I didn't think that was very good. Even if it's like a genius movie. Any movie with a down ending clearly didn't accomplish its goal, which was to make him happy. So that so, Jesus, and, that so that was that joke, yeah. Okay. But we watched Oh Brother Where Art Thou finally. Um, what'd you think of it? You said it was your favorite Coen Brothers movie. You, but that, then I remembered Fargo. So it's not better than so Fargo. So I'd say three and a half. Mm, man, you just don't like the Coen Brothers. I don't. You know what's sorry. weird? You okay? So like. Y- I don't know. I always felt like when I look at you, I I see like, oh, Bird, she's a she's a person who's very into art house films. She seems like an art art film kind of girl. Like she would appreciate fine cinema or whatever. But you don't like the Coen Brothers. You don't like Paul Thomas. Who not? Or you don't like Wes Anderson. Oh my god, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I'm afraid to show you. I'm afraid to show you a Paul Thomas Anderson film because I'm afraid you won't like it. Like I want to show you There Will Be Blood. It's one of the best movies ever made, but I'm afraid you're going to be like this is dumb and like start showing all the plot holes or like <laughs> critiquing the absolutely gorgeous cinematography or what have you. It's weird to me that you don't like the Coen Brothers. God damn it. They're like my spirit the thing, animal. The thing that annoys me about them is the um, sort of like raised addiction, the like sort of highfalutin way of speaking, even though they're like uneducated fucking. Yeah, like that's, it makes that's me a Cohen, absolutely insane. That's a Coen Brothers trope is like, oh God, like dumb white trash people talking smart. Like Raising Arizona is a perfect example. Like Nicolas Cage's character speaks way beyond what he should be able to comprehend and um what's his face with the yellow glasses does it in the big lebowski too john goodman's character yes (laughs) walter isn't he the one that does it (laughs) also chinaman is not the accepted vernacular dude (laughs) you're giving that movie three fucking stars i can't believe you oh my god I think quoting that movie is almost better that than that That is way movie. more fun for me than watching the movie. Oh, my hearing. Maybe if I was drunk on White Russians, it would yeah, be Yeah, well, that's how we're celebrating April 20th this year. We're going bowling, we're drinking White Russians in bathrobes, and watching The Big Lebowski. What? <gasps> Alan and Aaron. Yeah. Gonna we'll, do a double date? We'll be with them, yeah. And as I recall, Aaron That'll also so does fun. not like The Big Lebowski. So we'll hang out and make fun of you guys. That's fine. Alan loves The Big Lebowski. So me and Alan will watch The Big Lebowski in bathrobes. We'll all go bowling. It'll be great. Oh, we should go bowling in bathrobes. As long as we have clothes on underneath, they can't They can't possibly stop us. Are you going to dress up like the dude? I got to start growing my hair out. Oh, wait. I'll just get a wig. Yeah. I'm going to go. I'm going to go full um, Jeff. Fuck, what's his name? Bridges. Bridges. I was going to say Jeff Goldblum, but I'm like, no. That's <laughs> no, Jurassic very much Park. Not that's right. the fly. Definitely not Jeff Goldblum. Can you imagine how different that movie would be if it was Jeff Goldblum? 
They almost have uh, they almost have like similar voices. Jeff Jeff, Jeff Goldblum's more sort of like this. He's got that kind of like and women will inherit the earth. You know, he's got that kind of mm-hmm. voice like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I gotta get my Jeff Goldblum impression on point. So what'd you think of um Oh Brother Where Art Thou? The repeated references to pomade delighted me to no end. <laughs> I was like, I use that in, in that antiquated hair care product. I use that. I'm a dapper Dan. I'm not a dapper Dan man. I used to be a sweet Georgia Brown man, but I gave it to my brother. I think he used it all. I hope he did. Pomade's great. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um, well, outside of that ridiculous diction problem, <laughs> addiction, addiction. <laughs> oh, I'm a genius. Um, oh, do we have? Oh, you have tea. Um, God, I, well, this is based on Homer's The Odyssey, which is kind of interesting that we've watched two movies recently that are based sort on. of loosely based on ancient. Um, yeah, that is true. On ancient texts. Yeah. Um, I really liked this sort of like. You should probably watch uh, 10 Things I Hate About You tonight because it's not based on an ancient text. It's based on the Timmy the Shrew, right? <laughs> yeah, you see, you got it. Good job. Wow, I'm proud of you. I'm so proud of you. You're good. Shut up, Donnie. You're good. <laughs> Donnie, you're out of your element. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Um, I really like movies that are the the like long journey movies. The you know going through the mishaps and mm. you know somehow kind of coming out on top even though they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know like weird Winter's Bone. Yes. Wow. But great. I was gonna say coming out on top almost through like kind of the hand of God right. sort of situations. Um, I fucking loved the music in this movie. Loved the music, it. The music Love is it. very good. What was it? What were they called? The Muddy Bottom Boys? The Anyway, it doesn't matter. Not somebody, important. somebody in the... No, it's just the Blah 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 Boys. That's all it oh. is. Don't look it up. I'm begging you. Okay. <laughs> okay. So you liked the music. I mean, that's what this movie was, I'm pretty sure, primarily lauded for was its soundtrack. That was, yeah, that was what I really, really liked about it. Oh, my God. I loved, I loved everything about that movie. But when, when they brought in the KKK, the movie, like, became (laughs) transcendental. It was really good. Not, it's not my favorite Coen Brothers movie. I think it's actually probably so far like if i were to rank it i would say it's my i love all the coen brothers movies i'm a huge coen brothers fan what's your favorite my favorite coen brothers movie is say barton fink i'm going it's not barton fink it's raising arizona raising arizona is my favorite coen brothers movie my second favorite is fargo no 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 yeah okay really fargo beats out no big lebowski is number two fargo's number three barton fink is number four um, and then I would probably say this would be number five. And then Burn mm-hmm. After Reading is after that. I have not seen all their movies. They've mm-hmm. made a lot more. Um, I think their first movie is called Blood Simple. I've never seen it. I've always wanted to. Like, I love watching directors' first films. Um, even though they're, I mean, Tarantino, I would argue that his first film is his weakest. Um, whereas with Kevin Smith, I would say his first film is maybe his strongest. Although Tusk is fucked up so weird and it's really well shot he got a really good cinematographer what is tarantino's first film? yes reservoir dogs oh yeah yeah i think his best Whatever. movie is pulp fiction and then the kill bill films oh my god it's so we could talk about tarantino all day but we could 
we'll do that later. We should. That's what we Inglorious should. Inglorious Bastards. That's your favorite Tarantino. Yeah. Pulp Fiction's my favorite, but uh, my dad's favorite. Which this really is strange to me. You know my dad, right? Mm-hmm. You know my dad's like tastes in films. Mm-hmm. Kill Bill Volume One is one of his favorite movies of all time. That completely makes sense to me. Really? Even yes. with like the insane hyper violence and like the yes. torture and the yeah. Wow. It's the same idea as Lone Wolf and Cub and the like Akira Kurosawa films. It's exactly that same, just like... Westernized and made cool as fuck. Yeah. I gotta watch all my Tarantino. (laughs) Tarantino-y. That's what I'm gonna do. You go to... When you fall asleep, I'm gonna watch all of Tarantino's movies back to back to back. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) Um, So, and didn't I point out while we were uh, watching Old Brother, Where Art Thou, the cinematographer is the same cinematographer from skyfall is that that is true it's, that's what it's you said. roger deakins i don't well no that's recall. that's who it that's who the cinematographer for skyfall is but i can't remember if it was that movie or another one we were watching i think it's oh brother where art thou i think so yeah so i was i started it noticing definitely wasn't the 13th warrior <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> if like that was roger deakins first movie <laughs> you gotta start somewhere um, but yeah, so he, the cinematography is gold. I told, uh, John and Casey, and we'll talk about John and Casey in just a second, but, um, I told John, cause John has become quite the film aficionado. He watches movies like me. He watches movies for their cinematography and stuff now. Go ahead. Um, I would have to say though, um, while the cinematography was great, I did not like the, um, sort of like after effects that they did on there, like the, um the the editing that they did to the film How do you like mean? the the color grading oh uh, yeah it was very very was very washed very out weird yeah um like like absurdly so in some places the colors yes. were so they were pushed like i'm a huge Super fan of desaturated i'm a big but then, like lots of gold yeah it, it didn't well and, and it changed from scene to scene too like i'm a big fan of desaturated films like my one of my favorite directors as far as like um like the visual look of his films is david fincher and you can't find films that desaturated in most places the girl with the dragon tattoo is one of my favorite films ever and it's like the most washed out color palette of all time i think if it had been consistent it would have been good but um you, you couldn't really fall into it and you couldn't really like see like this is just the way that this world looks like sometimes you fall into a film and you don't even notice stuff like that i think that's why i was able to like films like winter's bone where mm-hmm. they used the desaturated color palette to show how cold it was mm-hmm. but it's always that desaturated right you accept it right um I saw what they were trying to do with Oh Brother Where Art Thou, where they were like scenes where like they were happy or scenes where things seemed idyllic or were being presented in an idyllic way. They brought out those sort of like golds and the sepia whatever to make mm-hmm. to maybe suggest like nostalgia or suggest like you know happiness or good times or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then when they're on the road traveling, everything is like like super washed out and because the, they're in this like baked barren landscape. And then the KKK is like this larger than life group, so they had um, the con- all the saturation turned up on that because there was all the fire and all the like the guy the in reds the red are robes, super, <laughs> super red. red. God, this shit with the KKK is so funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not as good as I, I thought. I thought Tarantino's um, KKK jokes in Django were better when they do the the bit about you never seen Django Unchained. Oh, Django Unchained. Yeah. yeah. 
you remember when the the KKK is gonna come running down the hill to attack Django and Christoph Waltz's character, no. and they all can't see because they've got the hoods on with the tiny holes cut in, but they're riding on horseback and the hoods keep moving around, so they're like <laughs> riding blind. <laughs> okay, never mind. So you liked it though. You liked the um, brother word though. Yeah. Okay, I dragged a positive film review out of you finally. <laughs> um. We went on vacation recently with John and Casey. Since I mentioned him, I figured we'd do this one next, going down our list of things. Okay. Uh, where were we? What state was Connecticut. that? Connecticut. We were in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, John and Casey rented this beautiful little rustic-y cabin, like what, 700? You figured it out. It was like 600 square feet or... It was smaller than that. Okay, three hundred. It's like four hundred square feet. Okay, tiny, tiny little log. Not log, but tiny little like rusticy wood cabin in the middle of the woods in Connecticut. And we went down there and we did a weekend with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Talk. It was great. (laughs) It was great. Um, It was like um, on this couple's land, and they had a couple different um, cabins or Mm -hmm. places that you could like park your RV. Um, and they're right on a lake. The lake was gorgeous. Mm. Um, we had horses that did not want to have anything to do with me, which made me very sad. Uh, well, Trin wanted to have everything to do with them. So maybe that's why they were spit- <laughs> Should have let her go. She would have just run right into the um, electric fence. <laughs> what the Trin, fuck? we never would have done that to you. Um, we might have done that to you. I might have done that to you today. Um, but yeah, the and the the wife, it's a it's a the, like this couple, husband mm-hmm. and wife couple owned the land and the wife had a like a aerial s- yoga studio. Aerial yoga studio and we started noticing cuz Bird went on the website and knows what she looks like. There were like playing cards like two in decks the cabin. in the cabin that had her and some of her students on them. Yeah. And they were like doing all these like, you know, yoga poses on suspended rings and poles and stuff and i'm like is that so the owner of this cabin is this like vaguely stripperish looking lady here and you were like yeah and then on the second night it's very bendy she is extremely bendy um (laughs) so on the second night we took a sauna they had a sauna there um and we threw some logs in and as we were like standing in the changing room (laughs) we noticed that there are four calendars in the changing room all of her and i'm like in various bendy on the pole well they're not all her but no there's some the same like yeah and i'm like hmm this is interesting like it was very interesting self-promotion everywhere (laughs) like her playing cards are in the cabins and her calendars are on the walls if you hadn't pointed that out though i never would have known i just i'm like oh that's interesting (laughs) interesting choice they put porno calendars on their cabins i mean all right i mean whatever whatever floats your boat um, no, it was such a such a great weekend. That's exactly it, really was. it was exactly what I needed right before this like super stressful, crazy move and like the the drudgery of this winter up here. It was the light at the end of the tunnel, you know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we and we also learned. So I mean, we learned a new game. So oh yeah, <laughs> I put it off for like the whole first day because I was like, oh god, I don't want to learn this game. I just want to like we played Cards Against Humanity the first night, which was so fun as it always mm-hmm. is. Um, and as every time I'm with Casey, apparently this is like a new thing. I got so drunk on bourbon that I started like not understanding how Cards Against Humanity worked. <laughs> I, yeah, like at her at her wedding, I drank so. Uh, me and her 
I've told the story before, I'm sure, where we just got obliterated on Grey Goose and Scotch um, to the point where like I couldn't even play Cards Against Humanity because I ceased to be able to read, essentially. But That's um, pretty bad. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Um, but the second night, or the second day, we woke up and, you know, <laughs> I, I wanted to... I wanted to just like soldier through. Were some of us very hungover? I was, I was a bit hungover. Yeah, okay. <laughs> day day two, the morning. I was okay. In, oh like, my when god, I, first... I slept so good that night. I have not slept oh that good god. in ages. I haven't slept that good since. And <laughs> never will again. <laughs> um, yeah, but man, I woke up the next morning and I was like, I didn't feel hungover. But then, like as the day progressed, I was like, I'm not hungry, and I'm really thirsty. I have like a little bit of a headache and I feel my guts feel kind of weird. I'm like, oh, I'm hungover. (laughs) It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, but I was definitely a little bit hungover the second time. My guts are messed up. So John and Casey suggest, they're like, oh, do you guys want to play Catan? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, when they started describing it to us, I was like, oh my God, that's going to be so hard. So complicated. (laughs) They're like, so you've got to collect resources. Now they're based on these pieces here. Now you use these resources to build roads. I'm like, this is like. And you have to do a bunch of counting and blah, blah, blah. God damn it. This is like risk. Don't make me. Don't. Guys, can we just play, can we play craps? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> go fish please Slid, there's a checkerboard over there but like so they take out Catan and we play like halfway through the um what would you say like the demonstration round mm-hmm. where they're teaching us like the basic rules oh my god I was hooked <laughs> I was addicted oh so fu- so I mean so much so um when the weekend was over and we came home um we tried to we came home on a day when there was it was like what was it 18 inches or 22 inches of snow uh 16 24 inches of snow there we were supposed in- to get yeah and we ended up getting like it that was the day that our car got so buried i couldn't get it out of the lot yeah and we both but, had to go to work with your coworker the next day. They, like <laughs> we the, opened at noon. One of the biggest one. blizzards I've ever seen since I lived in the Copper Country. Like mm-hmm. since I lived in the Keweenaw, that was so much fucking snow fell on Sunday. Um, so on our way home, like to, this is how much <laughs> we liked Catan. As we're driving up from Connecticut, Bird called the hobby shop. We left really early in the morning. So and it was a Sunday, so we had to wait for them to open at eleven. And as we were driving on the freeway. Bird called Awesome Hobby Shop and asked, do you guys have Catan? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, how much is it? Okay. And we were really low on funds because we'd just done this big vacation weekend. Bird transferred the amount of Catan from our savings to our checking. And we, st- even though it, the blizzard had started when we got here, we went to an Awesome Hobby Shop and bought Catan before we parked the car and went home. And we played it. All oh day, <laughs> like as the blizzard's <laughs> raging, we just ate Ben and Jerry's and played fucking Catan, which is what I think I vote we do tonight because Ooh, we have Ben and Jerry's like in the freezer. <laughs> um, I cannot wait. We are so lame. I can- no, this is amazing. <laughs> ben and Jerry's uh, released some new flavors, by the way, for all my uh, my BJ's out there. <laughs> Everybody out there, your who- BJ brothers. Every- my B. <laughs> If you're listening at home and you love BJ's, there's three new ways to get your BJ's. <laughs> three delicious new three ways. Three savory, succulent, mouth-watering new BJ's available. Creamy. At a grocery store near you. <laughs> oh. The new flavors are Sad Catwoman <laughs> near the breakfast meats. A vegan hippie man over by the quinoa. 
and mysterious hole in the bathroom stall. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but there are there are three new Ben and Jerry's flavors, and I got one tonight. I can't remember what it's called though. Urban bourbon. Urban bourbon. I'm so fucking excited to eat it. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I have a severe. Then your mouth just did out. <laughs> I have a severe sugar addiction. Like it's not even a joke. <laughs> it's it's. It's worse than my Crippling. marijuana addiction. Yeah. It has reduced me to the I have the shakes. I'm not getting my ice cream, I have the shakes. Why does Trinity look like a like a PSA Adorable. for it? She's sleeping oh, against she... the edge the side of the cage and her face all smushed up, so she's got this big fat face. I love you, fat face dog. <laughs> she's looking at me like, What the fuck, mom? Oh my god. Um so yeah, oh, oh, while we were on vacation with John and Casey, I, you know, I knew that there would be a lot of heavy drinking, which would probably mean <laughs> some quiet mornings. Did we end up taking a nap that day? Yeah. Day two? I fell the fuck asleep as they were cooking oh, that I delicious tried. soup. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. Two up. The Can goddamn best soup in the world. I was sleeping as they were cooking it. What woke me up was the smell of the garlic and mm. the, um... Oh my god, that was so... Or was it the smell? Or were they... No, they they were making the soup. They were making the soup. But we had hash browns and pancakes for breakfast. Unless hash browns were so fucking good. Maybe It wasn't hash browns, it was like chopped potatoes. Chopped potatoes, yeah. Um, Yeah, those were excellent. So I brought some comics with me to read because, you know, like on a quiet... Oh, you? Comics? On a quiet hangover morning, you don't really do much you just lay around <laughs> so i brought um i brought a comic book called i can't remember who it's by i want to go grab it um will you go grab it well, um yeah, it's sure. on the shelf wild blue blue yonder um i read a comic book called wild blue yonder it's published by idw on the bookshelf bottom shelf to the far right um it's called wild blue yonder and it's just this little indie thing there's a comic book shop in ann arbor that Bird and I went to on my birthday two years ago. Um, and I I didn't, you know, she showed me it. And she's like, this looks cool. It's got kind of like a vaguely manga-esque style to the cover. Who's it by? Rach? Ratched? Uh, flip it open. Oh. The names are in the front cover. Um, but there's a... I expected the spine to be blue. Because blue yonder? Yeah, but no, it's like gold. What the shit? Well, all their design is gold. I don't care. Um, so B- Bird, you know, I got what did I get? I got Mike Ratch. Mike Ratch. Rach. Rach. I would say Rach. Sure. Anyway, or Mike, oh, and Zach Howard. He's story and, and writer. Austin Harrison. Who did the art? Zach Howard. Zach Howard did the art. Okay, so it's by the publishing company IDW. They did thirty. But the three people did the story. Okay, they did Thirty Days a Night. They did. Um, they ha- they own a lot of like old horror. They do a lot of horror comics. But this one, um, I bought. You know, we we were down there for my birthday. I bought Lost Girls, Alan Moore's like beautiful erotica um, book. I bought the deluxe hardcover edition. I bought some Grant Morrison comics. Uh, Flex Mentallo, which highly recommended so bird bought this one and has never opened it and when we moved to maine i was like huh i was we were trying to like be really careful about what stuff we brought because we had a limited amount of room so i just grabbed like this comic because we'd never read it and i was like well whatever fuck it i'll read this eventually and i threw it in the box and it sat on our shelf and i haven't read it until this trip i grabbed it because same thinking i was just like well whatever i've never read this i'll probably be hungover so i threw it in my bag holy shit wild blue yonder is one of the best comic books i've read in like 10 years it is 
I put this comic. It the is the art is beautiful. I'm looking at it right yeah, now. Oh, dude. Oh my god. All right. So the the basic premise of the comic is it follows. It's a post apocalyptic comic where the Earth is like in a radiated wasteland and super polluted, and you can't live on the surface of the Earth. So everybody takes to the skies. They fly around in these big ass airships above the clouds of pollution in the clean sky. Um, eventually a bunch of these airships consolidate under this guy named the judge and he, he think like a star Wars empire. He's the empire and they they like take down and assimilate other airships into their army. And there's this one, um, there's this one airship, which is solar powered. Now the, the big thing is fuel. They have people down on earth who are working in mines to produce fuel to, you know, power the airships with the promise that like you know if you work 10 years in these mines they'll take you on an airship and you'll be able to get off this fucking Mm -hmm. wasteland of a planet which ends up always being a lie and people right yeah people are just poor and they die and it sucks um so it's all fossil fuels like they have to keep producing fuel to keep these airships in the sky but there's one airship called the dawn which is solar powered so it flies up above the clouds, gets sun, and never has to land and never needs fuel. It can perpetually stay above the earth forever. It mm-hmm. nev- so it, that would be ideal. So the judge is chasing the dawn. He's trying to like he's trying to capture the ship so that he can transfer what his like elite people, um, his like new hope for humanity on there. He wants to take it from the like ragtag group of people who have it and like you know turn it into his Noah's Ark basically. Mm-hmm. Um, that ship, the Dawn, has a pilot named Cola, daughter... And anyway, there's a lot of, like, intricate stuff. But basically, it kind of follows that basic conflict. The judge chases down this group of people who are on the Dawn. And there's... It's all about, like, oh my god, that it's all aerial dogfights. Because the judge sends planes down, and then uh, the people on the Dawn, Cola, and all of those people, have... Uh, like old world war ii airplanes that they like fight back and it's i've never seen drawings of dogfights so fucking amazing like the aerial <laughs> fights in this comic are so fucking good um and there's like characters who zip around on like they have um like jet packs with like two minutes of fuel in them or whatever and they mm-hmm. like launch in short bursts and they are basically bers- they're basically viking berserkers they exist only to cause chaos and like disrupt the enemy lines. So like these dudes will like run out on jetpacks and blast themselves at enemy aircraft and like chop a wing off and then like free fall until they see another target and blast towards it. They just exist to like fuck shit up. <laughs> um, so that's all like the actiony elements of the comic. It's very there's a lot of there's a lot of gun battles and there's a lot of like fisticuffs and people getting hacked with samurai swords and a lot of dog fighting. Um, dog fighting, not animals, right, but like right, airplanes yeah, fighting yeah. each other. <laughs> There's a lot of animal cruelty. I love this comic. It's just amazing. Oh. Um, but though, yeah, there's a lot of aerial combat, which is cool. But the reason that I say this is the one of the best comics I've read in like the last 10 years is I don't know how they managed to do it. Because it's just this little, it's just this little indie comic. It's like they it's just like this self-contained thing that a couple of people did it's not there's no like huge names attached to it i love indie comics but they never they always usually like foretell great future careers you know as the artists and writers like hone their craft and stuff Mm -hmm. you're like oh this is that was a really cool indie comic i read but no they make you give a shit about 
everybody to the point where, and you're rooting for people and you're cheering people on and there's so much it's one of my favorite things in the world uh, we've talked about it before how much i love the like the frank miller brave warrior willing to die to save his family sort of thing like the noble sacrifice that like noble sacrifice thing mm-hmm. there's oh my god over I, it took me two days to read it because you know we were hanging out with johnny casey i didn't want to just read the comic all day and then when we got home the day after we got home i finished it in those two days that i was reading this comic i i laughed out loud not like this is so funny but i laughed with delight at how much emotion i was feeling i don't know how to describe it i was reading this comic that sounds okay yeah well I'm, i'm reading this comic and i would get this like rush of adrenaline because of of something that was happening on the page like a near miss it's a fucking drawing on a page like let's let's be real i'm not watching a movie here i'm not watching like i'm not thrilling to some live aerial show but like a plane would get peppered full of bullets but struggle back to the dawn and land safely and i would get rushes of adrenaline so intense that i would laugh out loud i just shocked and delighted by how engaging this comic was (laughs) and then i would read i i cried i Tears on my face cried four times in two days. This book is like maybe a hundred pages long and I wept reading it. Like sometimes I was crying because I was, okay, like there's, there's a bit where this sort of like old character, it's Cola's dad, spoilers, read, read Wild Blue Yonder. I'm not even fucking kidding. If you like comics at all. Don't spoil this for me. Okay. uh, There's a, uh, obliquely as I can, there's a character who is in love with another character and he's flying his plane and it looks like it looks bad it looks like he's not gonna make it Ah, damn it i can't i can't talk about anything if i'm not gonna if i'm not gonna spoil it for you i can't talk about it all right i'll just talk about it in broad emotional terms i got i got like physically sick with fear that this character was gonna die and then in the first instance, when he didn't die, I was so relieved I cried. I was like, thank God this fictional character who's a drawing on a page is still going to be continued to be drawn for the next <laughs> how many pages. Oh my God. Oh, Jesus Christ. This is the... I've only run into a couple comics that have made me, like, cry and laugh because I'm like, oh my God, it's so thrilling that I'm laughing. It's It's genius. It's if you like if you like post-apocalyptic stuff, if you like sort of like borderline sci-fi, you know what it is? This book is Mad Max in the sky, but more operatic. This I would put this on a similar level to Mad Max Fury Road. For just like pure joy of in just oh my god, it's excellent. So I can Well, see, the reason I picked this up is because it made me think of Tank Girl. The art style? Um Yes, but also, like, thematically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, ruined planet, yeah. post-apocalyptic, right. good Ta- versus pl- evil. Plane instead of tank, right? Yeah. Um, how, how close is it? Not at all. No. Zero similarities. The, here's the similarity. The main character, Cola, mm-hmm. she has a slightly similar hairstyle to Tank Girl. And a, some, no, I was going to say they have similar demeanors. That's not true at all. They have a vaguely similar hairstyle, like that. She uh, Cola has sort of like a like kind of like a haircut you have. Mm-hmm. Um, Tank Girl has like one poof in the front, and then later a bunch of different hairstyles. But 
I thought that was that was one thing I thought was interesting. I once upon a time bought Bird uh, Tank Girl. I bought you Tank Girl volumes one and two, the first two like collections of all the early Tank Girl comics, mm-hmm. um, for I think your birthday. And you were like, I don't really want those. So I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll just l- let the Amazon order come through because I want to read them. And then I got you something else. You are like, you like that character, Tank Girl. Mm-hmm. You're like a Tank Girl fan. You liked the movie, which was so <laughs> fucking weird. That movie was so bizarre. Um, but you still haven't read not, those. Not good, but great. Yeah, it's not good, <laughs> but great. The uh, the Chapman and Robin stamp of approval. Tank Girl is really fun. It's a really fun movie. I would buy that on Blu-ray. Like... <laughs> I would absolutely <laughs> the special editions just so I could get more content. Um, but you never read the comics, did Mm-mm. you? No. Why is that? I don't know. I almost maybe like if I read it, maybe it'll be ruined. <laughs> you, you you think you won't like it? Maybe. Tank Girl is. I'd never read it. I just was familiar with the look of the character before before I ordered these books. Um, mm-hmm. And there's like some play. There's some cool Tank Girl playlists. A lot of like girl power stuff on Atrax, which I love. Atrax.com, uh, number eight, T R A C K S dot com. Um, but when I first like started reading the comic, I didn't know what to expect. Reading Tank Girl is like reading a. 80s pop culture saturated mad magazine with insane profanity sexual content insane violence drug abuse alcoholism and punk rock it's absolutely off the wall and when you look at it in a like a historical context what comics were and then tank girl coming out tank girl is the antithesis of everything else that was on newsstands like it was kind. Of, I mean, Love and Rockets is kind of like indie, sort of like an indie, um, like soap opera comic, but had like a lot of. It would be like a comic for punks or a comic for like young people. It was it was relevant. It felt real. Mm-hmm. Tank Girl is like weird, experimental absolutely absurd there's yeah there's no rules and no like the devil is a character somewhat frequently there's human sacrifice tank girl becomes like a deity at one point which is worshipped by like an ancient race of people it's (laughs) so fucking weird and so delightful like the i'm i'm glad i wasn't just stuck with the idea of punk rock like the image of punk rock girl with guns is tank girl I'm glad I actually read the comic and now I have her in my head too. Like I know, oh, Tank Girl is really good. You should, what you should do is before next week, we should read volumes one and two and talk about them. Okay. Um, I'll brush up on them. I will gladly read that comic again and again and again and again. Um, Tank Girl is amazing. But yeah, like I I don't want to, okay, I'm not going to spoil it for birds. So I'm not going to go into like some in-depth review here, but (laughs) let me just say, Wild Blue Yonder, IDW Publishing. I think Bird bought the hardcover for like 14 bucks. You can get it in softcover trade. Amazon.com, wherever you can find it. Oh my god. Everybody should read this comic. It's so good. It's so excellent. It's Mad Max in the Sky meets 300. It's fucking awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do it. All right. Um, I'm so filled with joy and wonder. I just want to move on and talk about magic now because that's been filling me with joy and wonder. Um, do you have anything that you want to jump to or talk about? Can no, I have a drink no. of your water, by the way? I mean, no. I can't have a drink of your water. 
All right, we're gonna make an editing point. Okay, there, I need, okay. I need something to drink. <laughs> I'm, I've been spewing words. Fascinating radio. Um. So, Bird, we've been, uh, I've been steeped in in magic for two days. Oh God. Uh, I was. Uh, Please don't do an on-air trick. I wait. Okay, so I need you to think. Think of a card. Just think of a card. Uh, suit and uh, number. Okay. Okay. Suit. And, uh, we're gonna go number and suit. Okay. Think of a card, number and suit. Are you ready? <laughs> Are you ready? Here we go. You are thinking of the three of spades, <laughs> the six of hearts, <laughs> the jack of diamonds. <laughs> we're gonna get it. There's only 48 more options, folks. Bear with me. You were thinking of the five of the clubs. Was it the five yeah. of clubs? <laughs> yes! Hot damn! It took you up four times. <laughs> hey, four times out of 52, I'm pretty much a psychic. <laughs> um, no, I was at work. Or I was on the bus on the way to work listening to a podcast. I was listening to this modcast, Kevin Smith's podcast, and I had heard um, he mentioned a show called Penn and Teller, Fool Us. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, Penn and Teller. They were, they're magicians. I like magic. Which we'll get to in a bit. I wrote down a bunch of notes on my my sordid history with magic, okay. but um, so I was like, okay, um, cool. So I'll check this out. And then I, on my lunch break at work, I went on YouTube and found an episode and started watching it. The basic setup: if you don't know who Penn and Teller are, they're a magic duo. How would you describe them, Penn and Teller? Um, like weird Jay and Silent Bob meet. Uh, Chewbacca and C-3PO? Chewbacca and C-3PO. Magic? Oh, yeah, because Penn's huge. Mm-hmm. Penn is very tall. Um, yeah, so it's basically like uh, Penn Jillette and... You, I mean, you would recognize them. They were like very yeah, they're, they're famous, famous. And in the public eye when we were kids. Yeah, and they're st- still to some extent. You still see them around. Um, Penn Jillette has a YouTube channel. He does like a vlog or mm-hmm. maybe he does a podcast. I can't remember, but he does a vlog that is has a very recognizable style where he surrounds himself with cameras and mm-hmm. then edits to whatever camera he's looking at, mm-hmm. which is like dozens of cameras. Very cool. But um, and he just like extemporaneously talks fast and loud at the cameras. It's really disorienting to watch sometimes. But um, so yeah, he's he's a really tall magician and Teller's like this small kind of dry looking uh, blonde guy who doesn't talk. Curly hair. Curly hair. Penn has long black hair that he pulls it back in a ponytail. Yeah. Glasses. And he sort of plays the, I'm sure Adam knows a, a famous duo that they are like that I can't think of them. Off Laurel the and Hardy? Maybe. Um, but so Abbott and Costello, they have that sort of like dynamic big guy, small guy. Yeah. Um. So they're kind. They're not always comedy magicians, but sometimes their magic tricks are comedic. Mm-hmm. Um. Like and Teller almost always plays the straight man, or he's he, and he never talks. He never talks, but he becomes the like the visual gag. Like on the first episode of the show. He just randomly, without prompting and without saying anything, starts putting on, like, surgeon's gloves and, like, an apron in a weird context so that you're like, what the fuck is he doing? Why is he doing this? And it pays off. Everything he does, like, is part of the trick. But, um, yeah, so basically, they flew to England, 
and it think like America's Got Talent or So You Think You Can Dance or one of those like judge performer type shows. Um, and it basically what their whole premise was is they've been magicians for f- like 40 years. Mm-hmm. So they want to go back to, they want to get recapture that feeling of how did he do that? How did she do that? You know, like that, um, that they want to be fooled. They want to mm-hmm. be like duped they want to be duped they want to get sucked back into that like oh my god magic you know they want to get that feeling back so they also there is something in it for the contestants there's something in it for the contestants (laughs) they just are like dance monkey (laughs) and they make magician after magician just fearful for their life try and fool them and if they fail Penn and teller kill them them. (laughs) no but um sacrifice to the devil so Penn and teller sit in what would be like a front row seat of the audience and watch the stage and they have magicians come out local magicians um who you know have been all vetted it's okay when um what's it called american idol in american idol they let you see shitty singers just so you can make fun of them and i literally just shuddered Um, the only people on this show are on point. They have been vetted. Their acts do not have any holes. They're fucking good. I have not seen one. I haven't, like, Penn and Teller guess almost all of them. They're able to figure out how almost all the tricks are done because they are top of the game magicians. But I'm watching these and I'm like, oh, fuck, that guy, they're never going to get that trick. And, uh, and, you know, Pendulette's like, no, that trick is, uh, it's sold in one shop in Nairobi, Africa. Good try. But, uh, we purchased that trick in 1975, you know, and you're like, oh my God. Or like, yeah, that's, I know I recognize that trick. It was published in one obscure text of which there are only three copies, but they know like every mm-hmm. fucking magic trick there right. is. Um, so the the contestants come on and they get to do one magic trick and then Penn and Teller confer for a second and like okay how do you think he did it that way okay he probably did it that way and then because they don't want to wreck the magician's um, routine or like does you know they don't want to reveal the they trick. don't want to reveal the trick to the audience because that's half the fun of magic right. is like the audience and that must be so fun for the audience because they get to go and see a variety of magicians doing incredible tricks. And they never, ha- they don't get it spoiled for them. Right. Even though Penn and Teller are like, you know, because most of the time Penn and Teller are like, no, here's how you, and the way that they do it is Penn talks to the contestant in like a weird magic code double code. speak. Yeah. yeah. Where he, he uses like really oblique references to other stuff. Like for example, there's a card, a card magician. Okay. This guy does close up fucking sleight of hand card magic. That I was like, we need to burn him at the stake. This man is a fucking wizard. Or like, <laughs> we since I like wizards and magic, I was like, you fuck. He's amazing. Easily the best close-up card magic I've ever seen in my life. I'm like, ah, oh, my head is exploding. Mm-hmm. And at the end, um, Penn and Teller knew a lot of his routine because he's a classical ma- magician. He does a lot of old tricks. Mm-hmm. Um, they knew a lot of his routine, but he did a really... <laughs> amazing finale where he shuffled the deck mm-hmm. he's sh- he's talking to the audience and shuffling the deck as he talks for like m- minutes of shuffling you can do a couple ripple shuffles and not change the deck but he does every shuffle you can think of for like a minute and then he shuffles them right side up upside down flips the cards over and in the upside down cards are the aces face up there's only four face-up cards, and they are the aces. Mm-hmm. And then he uses the aces to flip the other cards over, and it's 
ace it's uh ace through king in order suited in it's fucking nuts you see it and you're <laughs> like there's no goddamn way that he just did that it's it's one of the coolest illusions i've ever seen <laughs> but pen goes the way that teller and i think you did that is we think that you raked the cooler which means nothing to anybody at home but you can see this dude's eyes like like kind of like fall a little bit he's like oh yep i bow to his superior intellect you you guys understand how i did the trick but that's how he that's Mm -hmm. how they show the magicians that they know what happened they say like you know we think you raked the cooler and you're like what the fuck does that mean but the guy's like oh shit yeah yeah that's how i did it (laughs) um and then there was an escape artist and they had teller draw a diagram of how he escaped and just showed it to him and then lit it on fire and it was (laughs) it was flash paper (laughs) Which I love the showmanship of this fucking show. It's so good. Um, so yeah, it's called um, Penn and Teller Fool Us. It is. I, I recommend it highly. You can find it on YouTube. I wasn't able to find it on Netflix or Vudu. I'm sure Alan and Aaron are going to be able to stream it, and then they're going to regret ever showing me their password because I'm just going to stream that like 24 <laughs> seven. Um, but yeah, it's really really good. Um, and definitely worth definitely worth watching. So because I caught the magic bug i made bird watch more magic stuff with me today bird do you want to tell everybody what we watched today oh Oh. really quick though um you said you got nervous watching penn and teller fool us what was that about um i don't like those um like performer audience ones like um like american idol american idol Um, i don't know i just i get nervous for the performer like they're gonna mess up or something yes yes yeah <laughs> like i my anxiety just like woof, right through the w- so do you room. get do you get anxious when you're watching performers um i don't think so so if you were to go and like see a magic show see a magician like if we went to vegas and saw oh wait he's taking it off vegas but for an, oh penn and teller are still playing on vegas so if we went and saw a penn and teller show mm-hmm. in vegas would you be like oh he's gonna fuck up the no. trick he's gonna okay no I think I think it's just sort of like the American Idol thing is just holding on to me. Like, I cannot watch American Idol. I can't. I don't know. That's good. And Or maybe it's like the whole, like, they are judging this person, and that makes me really uncomfortable and nervous for that person because I, I don't want them to be judged negatively. I have. I will I say know. this. I, I've only watched episode, uh, season one, episode zero, but... Penn and Teller have not said a negative thing to anybody yet. I'm sure it's great. They're saying they had they like they do kind of you can tell that they're kind of like giving like like a harsher critique to some people. Like their first critique was this is a commercially available trick you haven't invented. <laughs> they didn't say it that way, but they yeah. were and they because the kid who did it was I think 16. Oh. So, but yeah. they were like, we want to, we want to just give you credit because you're standing in front of two of the, like two of the, you know, two renowned magicians and a room full of people on national television. And you didn't, there was no ums or pauses or butts or whatever in your patter. Mm-hmm. Your patter was fluent. Your trick was brilliantly rehearsed. They gave him a lot of praise, but mm-hmm. then they were like, but it is, you know, this is a trick that you can buy. So you're not going to fool Penn and Teller with something that you can purchase. It's, right. It has to be original. But so they kind of gave they give like gentle criticism mm-hmm. so that you can at least improve your act and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and then they, the only guy they were like vaguely mean to was the first guy who fooled them. 
it was that comedy magician who was doing like the envelopes and he had the goofy ass patter and oh okay so there's a he's a former police officer he was a <laughs> he was a british police officer for like 30 years and he retired and his his thing has always been magic <laughs> so he was like well i didn't want to like retire and just sit around and collect my pension and drink beer and watch daytime television so he became a magician after he retired from the force <laughs> and he has the most like like oh my god he's so naughty he has like the crassest <laughs> patter with the audience um it, he did a bit where he has five envelopes mm-hmm. and he puts a hundred pounds a hundred pound note um right a hundred you know like hundred pound note hundred pound note they're a lot of british currency in one of the envelopes and the other ones have zero dollar uh zero dollar bills on them that he printed off his printer worthless paper <laughs> And on each envelope, he writes something. He writes something on one. He writes nothing on one. He writes sex on one. He writes yours on one. And he writes mine on one. And then he goes around the room and lets audience members pick whichever one they want. Hmm. You know, like, okay, you can have anyone you want. You can pick anything you want. Um, And he has hysterically funny patter for each envelope Mm -hmm. because he's like... You know, um, and the third envelope is sex. And now what you might be asking yourself is, do you think that I would put the money in the envelope um, thinking that I'm safe, knowing that you're not the type of person who would ask for sex in a public forum? Um, and like shit like that, which I thought was really, really clever. And he's fast too. His patter's really fast. But he's a, it's a joke. It's joke magic. It's, it's, he's a comedy magician. Um, so four people pick their envelopes Mm -hmm. and all pick the wrong envelope and then he is left with the envelope that has the hundred pounds in it and he successfully like dupes the audience and the way that he does it Penn and Teller can't figure out how he managed to force the envelope so they because like mentalism is not real mental you can like kind of suggest stuff to people but you can't reliably do it because there's randomness and people everybody thinks differently Mm mm-hmm so it has to be a trick. There's some way that he was able to force the envelope. Um, but Penn and Teller can't figure it out. And they're like, <laughs> they're kind of mean to him because they're like, we came here to be fooled, but not by him. <laughs> you know, not by, we were expecting to be fooled by some like sleight of hand and razzle dazzle, not fucking envelopes with sex written on them. You know, like <laughs> it's a really, really goofy trick, but mm-hmm. Penn and Teller cannot figure out how he did it. They examine the envelopes. They're like looking at the envelopes and shit. It's... It's delightful. It's a really, really fun show. And the my favorite part of it is watching... It's like watching, you know, like, So You Think You Can Dance. Every act that comes on, You Think You Can Dance, you're like, Jesus Christ, they are the best dancers in the world. Those people are... Those are clearly, like, multimillionaire dancers. And then the judges are like... Well, it was a bit sloppy, wasn't it? Yes, well, you did your best, I suppose, even though that woman over there, like, tripped six times. And you, you're like, tripped six times? It was flawless. I'm watching all these magic shows, and I'm just like, they're all so magical and wonderful, and they should... Oh, and I should say, um, if you fool Penn and Teller, they fly you to Vegas, all expenses paid, to open one of their shows on the Vegas Strip, which is basically the holy grail for magicians, is to do a show on vegas it's like the gold mine you go and do that um so but anyway we watched something else today which wasn't pen and teller bird what did we watch what did we watch while we ate our pizza today and while i get a, a glass of water 
We watched David Blaine poke things through his hand <laughs> and other such shenanigans and um, Ricky Gervais freaked the fuck out. <laughs> oh, yeah. It actually, it was actually very, very fun to watch um, famous people yeah, in sort of like that that guard well, down, they're not really acting. Really quick, the show is called, it's on Netflix right now, it's called David Blaine, Real or Magic? Um, and it's David, David Blaine goes around and does uh, close-up magic for, or two, four, 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 with, four, with, uh, in rooms full of famous people like Ricky Gervais, Will Smith, Jada Pinkett Smith, um, and their munchkins, and their munchkins, uh, Will Arnett. He does a trick for Stephen Hawking. He does a trick for Harrison Ford, Olivia Wilde, um, Woody Harrelson's on there, Brian Cranston, and um, the other guy. What's the, the, Woody Allen. Woody Allen. He does a really disgusting trick for Woody Allen. Um, he does a trick for Robert De Niro. It's like all the famous people you can think of, they're in this show and he's doing magic for them. And he also does um, parts of the show where he's out on the street doing it for just random people. Yeah. Some of my favorites were when he went to like the projects, when he went to like mm-hmm. um, like rough neighborhoods and did it for just like kids hanging mm-hmm. out on street corners. My, mm-hmm. I think my favorite one was when he changed the $1 bill into a $100 bill. But you couldn't. He does. He did a trick where there's um like four. You can kind of tell they're like scruffy ragamuffin city kids. Um, and one of them is he puts a one dollar bill in one of their hands, and he's got his hand closed, and he's like, "All right, you guys. If I change this into a hundred dollar bill, you're gonna split it, right? Split it between all of you guys." And they're all getting all amped up or whatever. And he does, mm-hmm. you know, he goes through the trick. He's like, all right, now squeeze it. Okay. And he, you know, does his little magic hand over it. And he, <laughs> the kid opens his hand up. And the camera never gets a chance to see what the bill is because they all scream and take off down the street, like <laughs> freaking the fuck out. And the cameraman's laughing and he goes, so, uh, was it a hundred dollar bill? And David Blaine goes, I don't know. I did something, I guess. <laughs> like they just run away with the money before anyone has a chance to do the reveal. Um, but yeah, so you, why didn't you, you're like all, who's David Blaine? I actually, I, however much shit the dude gets, I, I thought it was pretty good. It was pretty fun. Um, I don't think that a lot of his magic, quote unquote, is actually magic. I think it's more like, um, endurance things or like um sort of like um how how do you say like um like a, a monk sort of thing like a, a mind over body mind over body thing sort of thing well the poking we were talking about how he's how he does the poking the needles through his skin and arms and whatever and what we came up with was he does it over and over. He stabs over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to create um, like a, a tunnel of scar tissue. And so then because the whole point of the trick is he sticks stuff through his hand and there's no blood. And in the end, he sticks a giant three foot needle through his fucking bicep in front of Ricky Gervais and there's no blood, which is weird. <laughs> um but he basically bird was saying it's like a piercing you know he did it over and over again until he had scar tissue and then he can just put when he pushes the he needle just in finds he, the hole and just 
pushes it in there. Right, and then follows the scar, like having a little permanent tunnel in his arm, basically, and pushes it through there. Um, I'm not positive that's how he does it, especially when I watched the bicep one, because his bicep moves so much, like that scar tissue must wiggle i don't know it could it could be a totally real needle like they do do that in some um i guess religious traditions it's sort of like an endurance thing Mm -hmm. um if you pushed it through and then um you know like your your meat yeah and then pulled it back out i mean it's like getting a shot you're not going to have a lot of blood you could even just have not have blood Mm. you know even come out i mean it's it's Pretty impressive. The <clears throat> the weird like water. I mean, he could even fucking like sleight of hand the blood away somehow. <laughs> yeah, do you see this strip of bl- do you see this strip of blood? Yeah, see how the blood seems like it's and it's gone. And now check your pocket. Check your pocket. Your pocket's full blood of blood. <laughs> that's one of my favorite. Um, that's there was a really funny uh, college. I think it's a college humor video about David Blaine, oh, where he yeah. keeps putting oh weird God. shit in people's pockets <laughs> and stealing people's watches and stealing stealing people's watches and putting weird shit in people's pockets. It's mm-hmm. funny if you can find that. Just look up David Blaine funny spoof. It's hysterically funny. Take my word for it. Um, but you know, honestly, I thought that was a pretty good comedy special. Like watching watching people. I think my favorite is Jamie Fox. Jamie oh, Fox, yeah. the look on his face, this grown man, he looks like a ten year old boy again. He looks like he looks gleeful. He looks just glee- like so <laughs> astonished and so like. What just happened? How did that happen? That doesn't make no sense to me. He just looks so like delighted. Same thing. Um, the one that kind of freaked me out, or you know, it was nice to see Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. Jada, I know he does. Uh, David Blaine does a mentalist trick with Jada, where uh, her and Will Smith stand across from each other, and he pokes Will Smith's shoulder, and Jada Pinkett Smith felt a touch on her shoulder. And then everyone's like, no, no, we didn't touch you. We didn't touch you. Oh, my God. And she's like, you guys touch me. You touch me. And she's like, I'm going to start crying. And she started crying. She got, like, really emotional. She just got so overwhelmed. Yeah. That she, like, started tearing up a little bit. And Will Smith came over and, like, hugged her. And watching their interactions, you were just like, oh, they are mm. so awesome. They're Scientologists and their kids are freaking nuts. But they are so... <laughs> they do. It seems yeah, like a really sweet just, relationship. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I actually I liked the and his David Blaine's some of his card magic is really cool. His three card money is on point, on fleek, as the kids say. Um, so I wanted You're to get banned. I wanted to ask you, um, you knew Penn and Teller. I kind of mm-hmm. didn't. What was your first? Everyone has like a no, no. Just stop shaking your head. You don't even know what my question is. What was your first exposure to magic? Do you remember? Mm, I don't know. I'm sure like there was some sort of magician that came to like my elementary school and did something. I've never That's seen Magic Live. Can... You yours was live? I, I don't I don't know. Um there used to be a shop in Traverse City. Um <clears throat> it's in the arcade building, um, right downtown and the top floor, you know where um Blue in the Face is? The head shop. Yeah. Across the hall, there used to be this big room that was nothing but like um, 
well, it was like a costume shop and it was like a magic shop mm. and they had um they had tricks in there that you could buy and uh that might like, be the first like um be, like beginner's <laughs> magic tricks yeah. or like okay because if you go into magic shops some of the tricks in there are like a thousand dollars or like i mean $600. i don't know yeah but it was just like kid stuff basic stuff right um but it also had like legit costumes and stuff that you could they had like this whole wall of costumes that you could rent and that sort of thing mm. um so that is probably a big part of it um but i don't remember like what my introduction was i remember like loving that shop but did you God, i haven't thought about that in years <laughs> <laughs> we're digging up them old memories here on chapman and robin today um do you remember the first magician that you were aware of? Because your mm-hmm. your favorite magician is Chris Angel, right? Oh my god, Chris Angel, line <laughs> me. You don't I, have to. I just had a crush on him. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're like not into his magic at all. You're just like he's so sexy. He's I don't know. Yeah, I like his magic too, but <laughs> I like how he likes. His I don't mom. mind looking at him. <laughs> <laughs> it's those abs. Um. It's my the first magician I ever saw was Chris Angel. Um, hmm. When I was really really young, I remember I was like seven or eight. Um, I saw kind of an accident because it was it was a magic show, mm-hmm. right? Um, so my dad and mom were like, I th- and okay, in my head I remember this being Christmas Eve, <laughs> like like late night Christmas Eve, like fireplace and stuff, and my parents were just like, oh, there's gonna be a magic special on. We'll just let Max watch it. And I'm like seven or eight years old. And it's Chris Angel's like early shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it, he's because he can, he had like the long black hair and very gothy looking and stuff. And I, in my memory, it's it's like late Christmas Eve and my parents are wrapping presents and cooking. And I'm watching this special alone in the living room in our house in Hubble up in the uh, Keweenaw. And... The biggest thing I remember, like, I don't remember what his early tricks were. I remember the finale. The finale was him, he wheeled on a mining drill with a 20, like a 20 foot bit on it. Are you texting right now? Sorry, with texting it, Alan and Aaron. Oh my God. With Alan and Aaron, you're, you're interrupting our podcast. Um, but they wheeled on a mining drill with like a 20 foot bit on it. That was like this big around, um, for those uh, of you, like the size of a Coke can Coke or a little bit bigger than glass. a Coke can, but like a big ass bit on it. And it, he was chained like arms and legs spread eagled, like, um, old horror movie being offered up to King Kong or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the drill was slowly wheeled across the stage towards him. And he, his whole thing was like, he's going to escape. It's, he's mm-hmm. doing an escape act. <laughs> he's gonna escape this deadly drill and my parents weren't there for this because i saw most of it um he doesn't escape the trick it's a it's a bluff it's it's meant to fool you he, the trick isn't the escape the trick is he gets impaled on the fucking drill and then the, they take the drill out and he's fine right mm-hmm. so the audience is expecting an escape and then they think that they've just seen him die and then he's okay that's the actual trick I saw him get impaled by the drill 
like he doesn't escape in this drill and he's screaming and fucking screaming <laughs> and there's blood sp- in my memory there's like blood spraying everywhere and he gets impaled on this drill and there's like this doomy gothy music like playing in the background and the drill turns the drill spins not the bit the drill itself rotates while he's hanging on the end of it it rotates over the crowd so his impaled body's hanging over like the first three rows and like blood's (laughs) dripping off his boots and shit that's as far as I saw and my parents ran in and turned it off (laughs) so my oh my god it's awesome (laughs) so my first like introduction to magic was I thought I saw an escape get fucked up and a dude get impaled on a drill and then like some weird morbid technicians like let's just swing the body out over the audience and that was you know the the next bit of the trick is he isn't dead he's He's totally fine fine. it was an illusion but i never has incredible abs i didn't know that until i was like 22 that he didn't when when i saw chris angel mind freak for the first time i was like oh that's the guy (laughs) he didn't die on that he should be dead or paralyzed on that drill on christmas eve (laughs) when i was eight years old it was Uh, fucked up like i still vividly remember i don't remember a whole lot from my early child like early early childhood but i vividly remember watching a man die on television on christmas eve um, that was the first thing, and my parents were like, after that, they were like, maybe we shouldn't watch it. I don't know what these magic <laughs> specials are about these days. It's it's not rabbits and hats anymore. It's like industrial, like <laughs> Rammstein music and dudes on fucking drill bits. <laughs> um, but I remember the second one I saw was David. I think it was David Copperfield doing an escape. I could be wrong, but he was chained to train tracks, and there was like a bullet. He it was a bullet train. Mm-hmm. He was chained to the tracks of a bullet David train. David Copperfield? I know, he's a close-up ma- magic guy, but I think he did an escape. Who's Copperfield that does books? Uh, there's a book called David Copperfield by Charles Dickens, which has oh. nothing to do with the magician. Oh, okay. Okay. But, um... We're good. That, that one was pretty thrilling. Um, he chains himself to the tracks, and he has to escape as a bullet train is coming towards him. It's really, like... A bullet train super fucking fast, like, whoosh. um, and he, whoosh, whoosh, and he makes it like just in the nick of time. And the thing that always stuck with me wasn't like the escape, because an escape, for the most part, an escape, the trick of an escape is making people believe that it's difficult, right? Because you've got like trick springs and you've got picks and you've got, it's you, sh- it's not actually as hard as it looks, or or. You have to, it's like with all magic, you have to make it, either make it look insanely easy when it's really, really hard, or make it look harder than it is. What always stuck with me about that is he actually had to jump out of the way of a bullet train right before it hit him. Because if you watch, like, it almost clips his back foot when he jumps off the tracks. So he had, like, it's actually tricky. He has to not get hit by a train that's going, like, 120 miles an hour. He has to not, like, fall down or trip or something. Yeah, so, like, and I, I was watching it, and as a kid, I was like, oh, my God, he's manacled. How is he, he going to get the shackles off? And then later, when I think back on it, I'm like, okay, so he probably could get out of the shackles pretty easy, but he had to time it right so that he got out of the shackles just in time 
to just in time jump out of the tra- out of the way of the train rather than like doing it too fast too fast and, and, and like, he, like and he just like gets off the tracks and the train blows by he and he, and if he gets out too soon he's wrecked the trick so right the timing I, I when i think back on it, i'm like that was true that was like a truly excellent trick because he got the timing just perfect um <laughs> So yeah, so then when I was that was when I was really little. Do you remember the magic trick I did for you when I first visited your no. you at your parents' house? You don't. <laughs> no. Well, I got really into magic when I was a kid um, because of like I'm like I want to be impaled on a twenty foot drill bit <laughs> industrial death metal. Um, but no, I, I wanted to be a magician when I was a little kid. Who doesn't? I mean, at some it's point, true. at some point, everybody wants to be a magician. Right. Um, and an astronaut and, and a, a fireman. Firefighter, and yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to park cars at one point. I wanted, to, basically, I wanted to be a valet because <laughs> I wanted to. <laughs> I never told you this. I used to play with my Matchbox cars, and I would, I would park them by color. In, on the living room floor, I'd park them all by color. And I was like, Mom. <laughs> I, I think you're on the autism spectrum, babe. <laughs> I wanted to do that. As, I, not anymore. Now I'm like, fuck color coding. It drives me nuts. But like when I was a kid, I wanted to just park people's cars by color in a lot. That's what I wanted to do as my job. I was really young. I was like three or four years old. <laughs> but um, yeah, so when I was really, really young, I wanted to be a magician, so I got this book on magic, and I learned all these tricks. You know, I subscribed through. You know, remember the Scholastic Book Club? Yes, dude, I got so many books? personal pan pizzas. <laughs> um, no, I mean the. Oh, that was Book It. Sorry, that was Book It. Yeah, I know the, what you're talking about. Though they'd give you the little like catalog, catalog, and you yeah. could circle books, and your mm-hmm. parents would write a check and order your books. Mm-hmm. I got so many books that way, <laughs> um, to the point where my parents were like, "You can have three. Every time this thing came around, I could have three. <laughs> so then they would, I would barter with them and say, can I have more if I use my own allowance? And I would give them back my allowance and get like five or get That's seven. adorable. So I subscribed to a book series through that called like you know, Little Magicians or whatever the fuck it was. Mm-hmm. And once a month, they would send you a little skinny book of tricks and like a couple of like assemble cardboard, you know, like cups and balls and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm magic tricks um and i you know i started i like i've done a levitation before like where i where you float up you know <laughs> um like you're laying on a table and you float up and down um so i like was practicing all the shit and my brother had a birthday party so my mom was like you should do some magic for your brother's birthday party oh, God. and i was like all right cool <clears throat> um i'll totally i'll totally do some magic for my brother's birthday party and I did a levitation and everyone was like, wow, because, you know, I was 10 and everyone else was like six. So, you know, right. I was I was like astonishingly good. Um, And that was how I fucked up my pinky, that big scar tissue there. See how my <laughs> pinky's all lumped up? There's a trick where you have to, I remember you have to like cut something out of a paper plate. You have to cut like a couple holes in a paper plate as preparation for the trick. And mm-hmm. I had run out of stuff, but I knew this other trick. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll just, I'll go prep a paper plate. And I was holding the paper plate and I couldn't find the scissors. So I took, <gasps> oh. I took a paring knife, one of those little paring uh-huh. knives to cut holes. And I, I was holding the paper plate. I must've had my fingers like really splayed. And I stabbed through the paper plate and sliced almost all the way to the bone on my pinky. It didn't stop bleeding for like two days, no stitches, 
but uh i have a really large bit of, you can't see it at home you folks but like you've seen my pinky i got a i got a large like almost marble sized lump of scar tissue under my left pinky from stabbing myself with a knife as my as a magician as a young magician first getting <laughs> first getting into the trade um and i kind of i don't know i kind of fell out of love with it while i was out at camp one time i got really pissed I was like, I'm never fucking doing magic again. <laughs> Did somebody um, guess your trick? No, I was I was doing this trick <clears throat> that I saw. I think I saw it on Chris Angel or something because um, he used to show you how to do like really basic, simple mm. tricks mm-hmm. where you you like take a woman's lipstick, right? Mm-hmm. And it never occurred to me that you, no one would let you do this in real life if you weren't Chris Angel with those amazing abs and film crews. You take the lipstick and you hold it like that by the bottom and by the lipstick mm-hmm. and you get some lipstick on your pointer finger mm-hmm. and then you then transfer that to the back of your hand or the, to the back of someone's hand and they're like oh my god it, it's it's like a you get the lipstick on your finger that's the trick you mm-hmm. kind of hide it and then you're able to transfer it to their hand later and they think that it's appeared there by magic it's a it's a really simple illusion so mm-hmm. i <laughs> I would. I had done like some coin tricks and shit, and then I was like, "Does anybody have some lipstick I could borrow?" And you know, um, one of my family members, uh, middle-aged female family member, was like, "Yeah, sure, here you go." And I twist it open and I hold it by the lipstick, and all of the women in the room go, "Oh, don't put your finger on it! Don't put your finger on it! Oh, oh, ooh, ooh!" <laughs> because I'm like dirtying up the lipstick, and I'm like. I can't do the trick now because they know that I have lipstick on my finger right. and it like fucked it up and I got so mad I'm like I remember <laughs> I, was like, I was like 10 years old 11 years old I was just like it's not about the lipstick it's about the magic and I was just like <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> Threw it down on the table. I was all fucking mad. I like stormed upstairs. It's about the magic. It's about the magic, and I like stormed up and <laughs> like laid in bed and like wouldn't talk to anybody for the rest of the night. <laughs> and that was that oh was god. kind of you had the drama down. I did, yeah. And if I just stuck with it, no, I mean that was kind of the end of it for me. But I did, um. I did a trick for you the first time I ever went to your parents' house. I went to uh, visit you down in Traverse City, and I think it was just, like, cooking eggs or something, and I saw a quarter on the countertop, and I was like, hey, do you want to see a magic trick? And basically, the magic trick is um, you disappear a quarter, or no, you you disappear a pencil, and then after you disappear the pencil you're you're supposed to be trying to disappear a quarter and then you disappear a pencil and then you disappear the quarter afterwards and then everything has been vanished and i remember i did it for you and it's just a dumb it's like one of the first tricks i ever learned it's just like really like it's just a goofy thing that i was doing for you and i remember when i was done you were like it was the one of the only times in my life i've gotten a genuine reaction out of somebody you were like oh my god where did the quarter go and i was like what <laughs> Are you for real? And you're like, how did you do that? What, do you, is <clears throat> show me your sleeves? I'm like, I'm in a t-shirt. I didn't like. What do you? You were like genuinely dumbfounded, and I was like, maybe I should be a magician. <laughs> or real. maybe I'm just 
This feels real good. I'm going to be a magician for an audience of one. I'm just going to do tricks (laughs) for Bird all day long until she's... (laughs) And you're just... (laughs) (laughs) It made me feel so fucking good. (laughs) Like, you have no idea. (laughs) That's probably why I married you. I was like, ah. I can fool her. Remember that one time I did a magic trick for her and she thought it was hot shit. (laughs) Oh, lo and behold. (laughs) Years later. You ain't. I'm like, hey, you got a quarter and a pencil? You're like, I know how you do this one now, you jerk. Um, God, oh, it's been such... Do we even want... Do you want to even do a Feminist 5? I feel so upbeat and happy. I think I'm good. <laughs> I think I'm good, too. We'll save it for next time. Um, do you want to... Let's talk about... How, okay, so, yeah. So that that was magic. Um, my God, I love magic so much. Who doesn't love magic, though? Magic. Um... You have an upcoming show. Let's let's do. let's do a roundup and just let people know how okay. how the artistic things are going. Bird has a show upcoming. If you're listening in Maine, if you're not, uh, we'll send pictures and probably some video. Um, tell us when the show is. It is March fifteenth from six to nine at Awesome Hobby Shop in that, Biddeford. No, that's just the opening night. It's going to run long. Oh long yeah, night. that's the opening reception <laughs> or whatever. How long does it run for the show? Like all through March. Oh, okay. Well, they're not gonna have your board if it goes any longer than that because we're moving. Um, so you've got you've got that upcoming show at Awesome Hobby Shop in Bitterford. Um, the the infamous pussy board will be on the walls. Yes. So excited for the controversy. Uh, I just uh, want to go hang uh, out and like hear what people say and then punch people who are being dickish about it. Um, they want though because it's gorgeous. What else you got going on? You're doing nothing because I am lame. No, you're doing your perspective studies and stuff, and that's yes, that that's... is all that I am doing. <laughs> yeah, but after they're done, <sighs> the graphic novel is looming. Well, that's what you started doing the perspective studies for. Yes, for the graphic novel. Yes. So when you're done with this, you're gonna start <laughs> working on. And the first page is a painting, right? Or, all um, of it. No, a painting. I'm sorry. The first page is a is a, a full page spread, right? Uh, maybe one, one No. It's okay. gonna be a big panel. Okay. I don't know if it's gonna be a whole page or not. Cool. Probably well, not. anyway. Um, oh, I've I've actually was meaning to ask you this. Are you going to post like uh, pages in progress as mm-hmm. you go? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool! I cannot fucking wait. <laughs> I see that shit. <laughs> um, what am I up to? I oh, um, I finished the Serial Killer Country album and emailed it to my cousin so he can listen to it and emailed it to my brother and immediately was like, "Why did I email that to my?" Uh, awesome adult cousin tim one of those songs is so fucked up i was thinking about the lyrics i'm like he is probably so glad i'm moving out of maine now (laughs) (laughs) there's it's like three normal-ish country songs that are just kind of like tongue-in-cheek and macabre and then there's one that is just i go like i basically just describe like from a serial killer's perspective what it's like to murder your wife and it's so fucking bad it's so (laughs) fucked up i'm like why did i send that to him um Still kicking, folks. Don't worry. What? Me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll never kill you. There's actually two songs on the album about killing your wife. Great. Last Stand of so, Mr. Uh, Jones. Do we need to talk about wife. anything? No, I love you, baby. Um, yeah, you better uh, maybe check the seal on your ice cream tonight, though. Arsenic and half-baked. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, so the albums, they are done and mixed i'm waiting to hear back from my brother the only other musician i trust um what he thinks of the mix is i'm going to make some final adjustments but uh, a fan of mine has funded 
fan being my mother. Uh, <laughs> a fan has funded biggest fan. my biggest fan, my number one fan who should not listen at to any of the songs on Albert Fish, Acupuncturist, my country album. Um, she she sent me some money for uh, for mastering so I can nice. master them both. Yeah. So once they're mastered, they will go up on my website. Cool. And you can for buy purchase? them for purchase. You can buy them and f- support. How much? I think I'm going to sell them for five bucks a piece. Uh, five dollar. Five dollar for digital downloads because they're EPs. They're not full albums. Right. One, but they're they're Makes long. Sense. They're both over. They're both over half an hour. So actually, the first one counts as an album because of its length. But it's only four songs. They're just really long. Um. So yeah, I figured I wouldn't charge people like like stupid amounts of money what? also yeah also i'm not like i'm not like some huge musician on columbia or whatever i'm like oh well here's here's an album throw me five bones um and then all of that money is going to go into the my artistic coffers so i can continue to you know like if i need to buy new programs or whatever to keep mm-hmm. making music or what have you and mm-hmm. just keep funding my art so it's like my own little mini patreon i suppose um, da, da, da. reading ready for the move, but people know about that. We managed to sell all of our shit, all the shit that we need to get uh, rid of. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, other than the dog dog crate. crate? Yeah, damn. And speakers. So we're getting. I was thinking we just donate them oh, over like okay. ten bucks. So we're getting close, folks. It's about a month and a week, and we're out of here. I gotta start calling. Uh, calling the our internet service providers and our in mm. our electricity company and letting them know that we're getting out of here and damn, i'm kind of how are you feeling are you excited i'm ready i'm ready too we just gotta ready to be the fuck out of here oh i wish we could do more packing but there's no point because we need all this shit for another month <laughs> I'm, I'm, yep. I'm i'm really excited all right well oh um yeah so that was our move so if you want to learn more about us and follow us and hear more of my love of love and wonderment of childish enter- forms of entertainment, um, you can find me on Twitter at max at max j peterson. I'm on Instagram as actual max p. My website is quillandfilmproductions.com, and I'm on Facebook as Maxwell Peterson Bird. I'm on Instagram as the dot artist dot bird. I am on uh, theartistbird.com as my website and Facebook as Bird Peterson. And you have eschewed <laughs> Twitter for the final time. You've driven in the Fuck final Twitter. Nail. Yeah, you've done with Twitter. All right. Um, what do you say you and I eat some Ben and Jerry's and play some Catan? Hell yeah. I love it. And I love it. Sounds you. like a perfect night. Aw. I agree. You're disgusting. I kind of am. All right. So that has been Chatman and Robin for this week. I'm Max Peterson. And I'm Bird. Holy podcast, Chatman.